RTHK News. It's 11 o'clock, I'm Todd Harding. Tonight's headlines, Carrie Lam says Hong Kong does not have a separation of powers. Pro-democracy figures condemn the remark, which contradicts past statements from the judiciary. And the government's free coronavirus testing gets underway across the city. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has backed up the Education Secretary's assertion that Hong Kong does not have a separation of powers. Mrs Lam says there's simply no mention of this in the basic law, and it's time for the government to set the matter straight. Priscilla Ng reports. It was while Education Secretary Kevin Young was rejecting allegations of political censorship of liberal studies textbooks that he told reporters this week that Hong Kong has never had a separation of powers between the executive, legislative and judicial branches. His remark clearly contradicts statements made over the years by the judiciary and chief justices past and present. But Carrie Lam agrees with Mr. Young. She says there is no such thing as a separation of powers in the basic law. Before going into an executive council meeting, she said society has long misunderstood the situation regarding the constitutional order in Hong Kong and it's time for her administration to put people right. Mrs. Lam pointed out that the basic law stipulates that judges are appointed by the chief executive, saying this couldn't happen if the judiciary was indeed separate from the executive branch. She said the executive, legislature and judiciary complement one another. She added, however, that they do also keep checks and balances on each other. Civic Party lawmaker and barrister Dennis Kwok says if the CE is right on the separation of powers, then several rulings by the city's top court must have been wrong. Mr Kwok says the government is just following Beijing's orders by making the claim. I think they are now changing their stance on this important constitutional principle based on political considerations. Obviously, they have been told that they need to say this in order to be in line with uh, what those up north would like them to say, which is that there is no separation of powers in Hong Kong, when it's clearly all along been uh, a fundamental constitutional principle, also a common law principle, which uh, we have applied all along. If you look at all the cases that the Court of Final Appeal have said in the past, Pro-government legislator and lawyer Junius Ho says he thinks there is a separation of powers between the three branches of government, just no real independence. I believe that there is still a separation of powers in Hong Kong in the sense that there's a division of the obligations and also the responsibility. But it doesn't mean that you know each facet itself can really be an independent in the sense that they can just do whatever they like without due regard, having regard to the overall circumstances. So we all believe that the big G, the big government itself, must include the three divisions, namely the executive, the legislature, and also uh, the judiciary. So all these three are interlinked and interwoven with each other, although they each have their own terms of reference and also the, the responsibility. At the end of the day, all these three divisions are responsible for the Hong Kong SAR, generally. The government says its citywide coronavirus testing has got off to a good start, with around 126,000 people giving samples today. Civil Service Secretary Patrick Nip says the feedback from those taking part has been generally positive, and the registration system means no long queues have been forming. Around 670,000 people are now said to have signed up, and Mr Nip says capacity will be extended at the Territory's 141 testing centres from Thursday. Basically, we uh, review the um, operational experience today and also assess the uh, throughput made by the uh, medical team, the healthcare team, and 
we come to the view that uh, there is room uh, for further increase in the uh, total uh, capacity. Hence, it will increase the uh, number of uh, quotas available for booking across the board for all centres. Hong Kong has recorded 12 new COVID-19 infections today, including three people who caught the virus overseas. Officials have only been un- un- unable to trace the source of infection in one case, a 64-year-old man who's been working on a construction site at Discovery College. Dr. Trung Shuk Kwan from the Centre for Health Protection says 10 of the man's co-workers are being put in quarantine. They have to remove some concrete from the from the site and and they work together for around four days. So um, they do not share meals, but uh, the ventilation in that uh, construction site is not uh, very good because, um, it, I mean, it's quite, um, they, their work is quite intense. So we consider the other workers in that construction site as close contacts. You're listening to RTHK. The time is five minutes past 11. A man has been arrested following a fatal knife attack at Chengkwano MTR station. The victim, a security guard, was believed to have been fixing a cash machine at the station when he was slashed this afternoon. Videos shared online showed him lying in a pool of blood. He was declared dead after being taken to hospital. A suspect was subdued outside the station. He's believed to have been a former colleague of the man who died. Police have extended bail for pro-democracy activist Agnes Chow, who was arrested last month under the national security law. She hasn't been charged with anything and will remain on bail until early December. After reporting to Taipo Police Station this afternoon, Ms Chow said she was again made to give a statement that was recorded on tape, but she can't say any more about it. I'm coming back to the Taipo Police Station to report again on the 2nd of December. And actually the 3rd of December is my birthday, it's my 24th birthday. And my only wish is that I hope that I could, I could come back, I could go back to my home after the report on the 2nd of December and I could have my 24th birthday at home. Chief Executive Carrie Lam has rejected the idea that a lack of trust in the government is putting people off joining the citywide coronavirus testing program that got underway today. She says critics who don't understand the scheme have been unnecessarily whipping up fears about it. Priscilla Ung has details. The chief executive says she's already had her free coronavirus test and she can report that it's simple, safe and convenient. Before going into this week's executive council meeting, she reeled off a list of reasons why she believes the Hospital Authority Employees Alliance is wrong to urge people to boycott the tests. The alliance has argued that such a universal testing scheme should also come with a territory-wide lockdown if it's to be of any use, that testing centers are too close to residential areas, and that there should be a full border closure as well. But Mrs. Lam says society wouldn't accept a lockdown, that health officials have okayed the test center locations, and that borders must remain open to allow goods and any SAR residents out of town to come in. She says the alliance ought to reconsider its stance and look at the testing program fairly and objectively this time. Mrs. Lam also dismissed criticism that the number of people signing up for the tests will be limited because many people don't trust the government. I don't think it has anything to do with, uh, with the government's uh, popularity. But it does have something to do uh, with uh, people who either because they don't understand the details of the program, the procedures, the safeguards that we have put in place, that they try to cause uh, worries and fears amongst the people 
so they will have less confidence in coming forward. The CE once again urged people to back the program, saying it's a very important strategy towards curbing the spread of the coronavirus. Examination authorities are going to put back next year's Diploma of Secondary Education exams in light of class suspensions caused by the COVID-19 pandemic. The Hong Kong Examinations and Assessment Authority has also announced it's simplifying the way school-based work will be assessed. Damon Pang reports. The exams, which traditionally start in early April, will instead begin on April the 23rd and continue for three and a half weeks rather than the usual four and a half. The exams authority has also announced that Chinese and English oral exams will be scrapped for the second straight year due to social distancing requirements, and two Chinese compulsory model essays, which were already tested this year, will be removed from the Chinese reading exam. The number of essays to be tested will go down to 10. In addition, school-based assessment of nine subjects is being cancelled and that of five others streamlined. The authority secretary-general So Kwok Sang says they have tried to score some of the work that students have already completed, but it's unavoidable that some of their efforts will have been in vain. It's not possible to cater for every student and every school because there are diversity and different status, even in the same school with different students. So what we are now proposing here is trying to strike the balance. Dr. So says he hopes the early announcement of the changes will allow students to spend more time on areas of the syllabus that they need to focus on. The delayed DSE exams will mean the results will also come out later. The authority says in the worst-case scenario, the exams won't begin until early June, with the results announced at the very end of August. Dr. So says they have spoken to universities and they'll be okay with this. We have also consulted the university sector and given their views that the 31st of August probably is the latest date they tolerate for release of results. So with that, university uh, will be able to accommodate their own schedule for school year start and be able to complete their first term. A number of staff are leaving the exams authority following controversy surrounding a question on the Chinese history exam this year and personal remarks made against local officials. Dr. So, who is one of those on his way out, says such personnel changes are normal and are not down to any pressure from pro-Beijing figures. Chief Executive Carrie Lam says she's concerned about a pregnant woman who was dragged to the ground and hit with police pepper spray in Mong Kok last night. Mrs Lam says she hopes there won't be a repeat of such scenes, adding that there won't be if people stop rioting and causing conflicts. Here's Damon Pang again. The woman was with her husband on Argyle Street when police decided to disperse a crowd there on a night where some people were mocking a year since the violent police raid on Prince Edward MTR station during the anti-extradition protests. The man shouted to the police that they needed to be careful because his wife was pregnant. But chaotic scenes caught on camera showed she was dragged to the ground by police. She was left lying in the road, apparently in pain and suffering from the effects of pepper spray. The police said officers hadn't pushed the woman down and they had been trying to pull her away as they arrested her husband, reportedly on suspicion of a disorder offence. The woman was taken to hospital by ambulance, but both she and her baby are said to be doing okay.
Before this week's executive council meeting, the CE was asked what she thought about the incident. Carrie Lam said she hopes there won't be a repeat of such scenes, and police should review their operations when something undesirable happens. But she added that if there were no riots and conflicts in society, then police wouldn't be needing to take any enforcement action in the first place. In response to her remarks, the vice chairman of the Yao Mong District Council (NDU) said Mrs Lam appeared to have forgotten who triggered the many months of protests and the Prince Edward MTR station violence that people were commemorating. I think the government and the executive forget why the people need to come out. Because last year, it's ridiculous that the violence by the police is not by the people. And therefore, the many people still remember that and come out and remember this thing. The Civic Party councillor, who's been in touch with a pregnant woman and her husband, says he understands they both work in Mong Kok and it's up to the public to judge whether they were in the wrong for being in the area when the police moved in. The Australian government says it doesn't know why Chinese authorities have detained Australian citizen and CGTN presenter Chung Lei. She had presented English-language business shows on the state-controlled broadcaster until she was detained two weeks ago. Her profile and all clips of her interviews have now been removed from the TV channel's website. Here's the BBC's Celia Hatton. This is really important because Chung Lei really became the face of much of the business coverage that appeared on English-language Chinese state television. But also, increasingly, she was being used to present very politically sensitive coverage as well. For example, she was one of the presenters who was on the air at the start of this year's Chinese annual parliamentary session. So she was quite important. Then she suddenly disappeared around the 12th of August. And it's now known that she has disappeared into detention. We know that she's had one video call with the Australian authorities, but really we don't know why she's under investigation. We don't know where she is. And importantly, we don't know how she is right now. It's important to note that she, yes, she's a very high profile figure. She's an Australian passport holder, and that's what's really important here because relations between China and Australia have really been in a deep freeze for the past few months. Now, they've been deteriorating for the past few years, I should say, but they really went into a new depth, really, when Australia called for an independent inquiry into the origins of COVID-19, the origins of the coronavirus pandemic. Beijing took great affront to this and really started to cut a lot of trade ties, a lot of diplomatic ties. And now, of course, we know that Chung Lei has been detained. The BBC's Celia Hatton with that report. A reminder of our top stories tonight. Carrie Lam says Hong Kong does not have a separation of powers. Pro-democracy figures condemn the remark, which contradicts past statements from the judiciary. And the government's free coronavirus testing gets underway across the city. The news from RTHK. It's time now to look at stories covered in this evening's Newswrap programme. Senior counsel and ex-co member Ronnie Tong has dismissed concerns over the chief executive's declaration that Hong Kong doesn't have a separation of powers, saying it's a row over nothing. Carrie Lam's comments had sparked alarm among government critics who accused the administration of changing its long-held position just to please Beijing. But Mr Tong told RTHK's Anna-Marie Evans that just because there's no formal separation of powers doesn't mean there are no checks and balances. Well, I think it's really an argument about nothing. 
Uh, it really depends on uh, what you're talking about. If you're talking about uh, separation of powers as part of the constitutional uh, order, then no, there isn't, because uh, you know all the uh, powers uh, of Hong Kong comes from the central government. Under the basic law, the chief executive is responsible for the whole of Hong Kong to be accountable to the central government. But if you're talking about separation of powers as a political concept, then uh, obviously there is a certain degree of division of governing power in Hong Kong, and there are sufficient check and balances uh, to satisfy the, the uh, meaning of separation of powers. So, uh, you know, I can see that the, sec the chief executive is talking about the constitutional uh, system. Uh, the, uh, that is called, and others are talking about, you know, the concept of separation of powers. I don't think that the system would change because people are saying different things or are emphasizing on different aspects uh, of our governing system. The fact of the matter is uh, there are a certain degree of division of governing uh, function and there are sufficient checks and balances uh, you know, within those three uh, separate branches of government. But would you say so, that the separation of powers is mentioned in the basic law? No, it's not. No, it's not. Mm. Um, that's the whole point, I think. Uh, if you look at the constitutional papers relating to the drafting of the basic law, you will find that, in fact, uh, there is mention about uh, the separation of powers between the executive and the legislature, and that the both should complement each other, but at the same time also provide check and balances against each other. I think that's the extent of it, uh, but there is also uh, the mention of an independent judiciary, uh, which of course uh, is a fact of life in Hong Kong. Uh, so uh, I think if everybody were to look at the current position in the light of the basic law, I don't think there would be much argument among us. Now, you're mentioning about the independent judiciary, but, I mean, with Kevin Young and, Bo and our chief executive mentioning this within 24 hours, uh, doesn't that sort of allow for a little bit of blurring to go on? Well, I, d I don't think so. I think we all understand that in Hong Kong, the appointment of judges is through the, uh, an independent uh, commission, and the chief executive obviously uh, has the power to uh, appoint or not appoint uh, judges, theoretically. Uh, but, uh, you, you know, uh, we have always uh, enjoyed a uh, very independent judiciary, uh, which, of course, is the, uh, uh, the reason why uh, the rule of law is so strong in Hong Kong. And that is something which I think is being maintained under the uh, basic law. An infectious disease expert says people shouldn't eat or drink for at least two hours before they undergo throat swabs for coronavirus. Dr Joseph Tsung says the swabs go quite far in and could trigger a reflex for people to vomit. Dr Tsung told Maggie Ho that he took the government's free coronavirus test this morning in Mong Kok. And while the swab part only took 30 seconds, the whole process was done and dusted in around 10 minutes. Overall, the procedures uh, is quite smooth. All the people are quite distant apart, so at least two meters apart. The environment is quite uh, decent. Uh, the hygiene standard is quite good. When I was undergoing the testing by the nurses, 
uh, they did it in a very professional way. It takes around around 30 seconds to complete both the nasal swap and the flow swap. Uh, so I left the center in around 10 minutes or so. Overall, I would consider it to be a very pleasant impression. Any advice for members of the public to prepare themselves for the tests? Well, I would advise the public to bring along some uh, tissue paper uh, for sneezing and for coughing to maintain good hygiene. Besides, I would advise them to bring along some super black or plastic bag to um, put in your uh, face mask temporarily when you receive or undergoing these procedure testings. Better not to have breakfast or lunch before you uh, undergone these testings. Otherwise, you may somehow got some vomiting when you have these results. So the better way is to not to eat or drink before the testings at least two hours, so that can uh, receive these testings more so- smoothly and uneventfully. The government has announced that some classes will resume later this month. Do you think it's the right time to do so? Well, I do think that is the right time, especially after the universal community testings, uh, because once we complete these universal community testings exercise, we can know better about our conditions in the community, especially uh, how many percent or how many people got asymptomatic infections. So it will help us to um, outline the subsequent actions for all these kind of anti-COVID measures. For the opening of schools or classes in the later part of this month, it's good to hear that because by then, I do think that our cases will come down to a very uh, small number. Uh, That means uh, the risk of having community transmissions is very low. So by then, um, it is much more safer to start our classes in both primary school, kindergarten or secondary school. Now, you've mentioned the number of new cases are slowly coming down. Do you think we are finally seeing the uh, light at the end of the tunnel? Or how likely will we see a resurgence of cases? I do think that we are coming to the end of the tunnel. Uh, in particular, when we seeing cases coming down. Um, we do think that uh, the current anti-COVID-19 measures in the community is... Uh, uh, is strong enough to um, to prevent cases coming up. That's why we can somehow uh, gradually resume some of the uh, classes in the school, as well as we can somehow live up some of the measures that implement in the past two months. Well, of course, um, although our cases are coming down, I would strongly advise people in Hong Kong and public to maintain their personal hygiene uh, and they should remain vigilant about their social distancing, personal hygiene, wearing masks, all these sorts of things. 
The number of people who've tested positive for coronavirus in the United States has passed the 6 million mark. The Johns Hopkins University in Baltimore says the US has added a million more cases in less than a month. India is also being hard hit by COVID-19, with the latest official data showing just how devastating it's been to the country's economy. GDP fell by almost 24% in the second quarter of this year. The BBC's Anbar Hassan Etirajan reports. It is a devastating news for many people in India because they were expecting something like 17 to 18 percent contraction in the last quarter. But this 24 percent, you can add any superlatives to that. It is the worst in decades. Now, what it means is like consumer spending, which is the main driver of the economy in you know, many countries around the world, has dropped by 31 percent during this lockdown period. You have to understand India imposed one of the strictest lockdowns in the world in the late March when the pandemic started. And as a result, all these capital investments, manufacturing, all fell. Millions of migrant laborers, they lost their jobs. Just to give you an example about the crunching these figures, Maruti Suzuki is the biggest car maker in India. It sells about 160,000 units every month. And in April, they did not sell a single unit. The government is in a very tight situation. You know, they have been announcing various schemes. They announced schemes about spending nearly $260 billion, for example, giving more bank guarantees for businesses, making it easier for them to take loans. And also, we have to understand India has got both formal and informal economy. And for the informal economy, they have to feed these migrant laborers. We're talking about more than a, you know, tens of millions of laborers to provide them free food grains. And much of this amount will go into feeding these people. But really, you know, what it needs to start the economy is government need to spend on big infrastructure projects and also the consumer spending has to start once again. I'll give you, just give you an example. I mean, a friend of mine running a marriage community hall. He has no marriage bookings for the last five months and no bookings for the next five months as well, which means he can't afford to buy anything for his family or friends and all the related industries like decorators, cooks and also the ad agencies, they have not got any business. So it is up to the government to invest more and start these infrastructure projects to kickstart the economy. The charity Save the Children is warning that nearly 70,000 children in sub-Saharan Africa are at risk of dying from extreme hunger before the end of the year. It says the COVID-19 pandemic is adding to the pressures some families and communities face in accessing food. Here's the BBC's Catherine Beerahunga. The aid organisation says it's already treating an increased number of children suffering from malnutrition at its clinics in East and Southern Africa. Save the Children adds that COVID-19 lockdown measures have meant families on the continent are facing a serious decline in their livelihoods and nutritious food is becoming increasingly hard to find or simply too expensive. According to its analysis, over 67,000 children could die as a result in 2020. Paul Rusesa Bagina was portrayed in the film Hotel Rwanda as a hero who saved the lives of more than 1,200 people from the country's 1994 genocide. He's now back in Kigali in jail, having been arrested in mysterious circumstances by the Rwandan government on terror charges. He's been living outside the country for over 20 years as a well-known critic of President Paul Kagame. The BBC's Lawrence Pollard has been speaking to Anais Kanimba, one of Mr Rusesa Bagina's daughters. 
my dad was traveling in Dubai. He was there on Thursday. That's the last time we heard from him when he confirmed that he had landed. We have not heard from him since until this morning. I woke up and I saw that he was in the Rwandan Authority custody. We are not aware of how he got there and what happened. This is why we believe he was kidnapped because he would never go to Rwanda on his own will. Yep, so the background is that he didn't feel safe in Rwanda. He'd been a long-term critic. There is no way that he can have gone on his own will to turn up where he is now. No, that's impossible. Has anyone in your family group, has any representative actually been in contact with him? Has he been able to get any message out at all? That's the scariest part. We have not been in, talk, in contact with him since Thursday, as I said. And right now we know we've seen him on the news all day long, but we have not talked to him and heard him. And yet he is sort of shown on TV very prominently as well. You know the man, you know his body language. How did he look when you see him? Well, I would say that he wanted to let us know that he was okay and he was staying strong. He doesn't want us to know that he is beaten. And even if they have him, he's going to show us he's going to continue fighting. Had he already taken advice on how to avoid something like this happening? Because there have been many, many allegations about how the Rwandan government has in the past operated against its opponents, some of them very serious. Do you know what measures he took to protect himself? We know that he's been aware of this and that's why he was in exile in Belgium and that's why he also was in exile in the United States. When this case happened, unfortunately, we do not know who he was with. We just know that he was taken. So I believe he was not in good safety when he was when they took him. One important thing is who will now speak up for him apart from the family. What citizenship does he have? What passport does he have? He is a Belgian citizen. He's also a U.S. resident. So we would love for these two places to help us to get him home and to get him back where he's supposed to be. We have been talking with the Belgians and the U.S. government and we've been reaching out with our family and trying to see if they can support us. Do you know what's going to happen to him now? How serious the charges that he faces are? What, what he might be looking at? I mean, what happens now to your dad? Well, the charges that they have on him are baseless. Because of that, I'm strong and confident that we're going to continue and pull through and show the world that this is false and that he, as we all know, a human rights advocate. But at the same time, we also know how the government functions. We know how the opponent, what happened to them. And we know that the government does not always follow the proper rules. They are trying to remove any kind of dissidents. So we are believe that because he is a strong critic of the government, he's a big threat. That's why we need to get out Rwanda as soon as possible. Those stories were part of the Newswrap programme, which was broadcast on RTHK earlier this evening. If your child was born on or before December 31st, 2015, and is to enter Primary 1 in a government or aided primary school in September next year, you should obtain the Primary 1 application form from the kindergarten or kindergarten-come-child-care centre your child is attending the Education Bureau or a district office, or download it from Education Bureau website, edb.gov.hk, from September 2nd to 25th this year. Live across Hong Kong, this is Radio 3. January to December, we'll have moments to that time again. Time for our kind of music. Nostalgia from now until 1am.
that was that beautiful Estralita played by Mantovani. I'll be here. In fact, I'll be here till the end of time. Thank you, Perry. Long as stars are in the blue. Long as there's a spring of birds to sing, I'll go on loving you. Till the end of time Long as roses bloom in May My love for you Will grow deeper With every passing day Till the wells run dry And each mountain disappears I'll be there for you to care for you Through laughter and through tears So take my heart in sweet surrender And tenderly say that 